Okay, welcome everybody to the next episode of CISO Talks. Um, with us today is Helen Rabe, who's held a number of high security positions um, in her career and has now been in the role of a CISO at the BBC for just over a year now. Thank you for joining us today, Helen. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for the invite. So really what I'm going to kick off with and where we're going to start is, um, do you think there is any one factor which has really brought about the, the huge change to the role of CISO in recent times? Any one factor? <laughs> um, I wouldn't say it's a single factor. No, I would say that the visibility of cyber into the business. Um, in other words, I, I kind of compare us to a hotel sometimes. We're no longer the back of house function right. that we used to be, right? It's the visibility and amplification of, of cyber as a result of high-profile incidents, um, you know, it's just becoming something that boards themselves are now required to be more knowledgeable about. Mm -hmm. There are a number of factors, no single thing, in my opinion, no single thing. And um, I would say that certainly having moved the teams from from that back of house invisible, I call them my invisible ninjas, um, into sort of bringing them forward, not all of them, because many of them prefer to, to stay you know, behind mm -hmm. the scenes and do the good work, but some of them you do need to bring to the front so that they can start to PR campaign, if you will, um, what we do, who we are, and how we do it. Yeah. And and that visibility is necessary because without it, people, if you're one of those brilliant teams that, that are so good at your job, nobody even knows you exist, which is often where our legacy has been. We've been good. We've been quiet. Mm -hmm. Then then people don't understand the value that we have. So no, no one thing. I'd say a number of things have certainly brought us to the fore okay. and helped change the role because the more that you bring everything to the front of the house, the more prominent the CISO role becomes. I'd also say that CISOs themselves have become far more vocal in the last few years about you know what the role requires of us, where the role should should sit. A contentious point. Mm -hmm. um, so so yeah, we've we've become certainly more more forward facing into the business itself. So obviously during that, you mean, you mentioned the word like team an awful lot. I think like traditionally, it's always been thought that the CISO sits on their own and does their work, and like you said, in the background. But do you feel now that the, the value of an actual team around the CISO is becoming more and more important and more prominent? I feel that that's always been an imperative. Certainly, well, look, anything I speak to you here today is, is subjective and based on my experiences, mm -hmm. right? I can't speak for other CISOs. Um, but from my side, the, C, the, the team is, is the imperative. Without it, I can't do my, my strategy. I can't deliver. I cannot operate. Mm -hmm. So for me, surrounding myself with a with a brilliant team has always been the number one requirement for me. Um, that team is what delivers the successful security strategy, the successful security operations. I'm going to use the word security too often, just go with it. Mm -hmm. um, but I've never isolated myself from those teams. They they are absolutely the, the key to my success and the success of what I bring as a CISO. Mm -hmm. So if any CISO sits in isolation of their team, um, I would query, you know, how how they're doing that. I just can't see it working. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, we've had discussions with with other CISOs where they've felt where the jobs changed and they've they've moved into both the front of house and like the back of house as well. And like you were saying, I think where like trust of a team is now essential. Um, I'm not always sure that that where we've talked with others is that that they've had the ability to trust their team fully. Um, oh, that is actually quite sad to hear. Um, I trust my team implicitly. Mm -hmm. I absolutely do. And, you know, when people say to me, this is going to sound arrogant, it's not my intention. Um, 
What is the measure of a, of a successful CISO? How do you, how did you become such a successful CISO? The success is the team. When without them, I'm not successful. So I don't feel isolated. I never have done. Um, the way I would say that leadership takes up 70% of my role. It takes up a mammoth amount of my time to make sure my teams are engaged, that they're following the vision. That means yeah. the strategy outline, they're supportive of it, they're delivering to it, um, that they've had input into it. And that's key for me. So it's not just my senior leadership team defining a strategy in isolation of the rest of IT, um, <clears throat> excuse me, security teams, or even IT for that matter, because there are stakeholders from IT that are part of the, the conversation. But my teams are always engaged and they have an open, safe space. It sounds wonderfully mm -hmm. trendy, but they do have the opportunity to come in and say, look, you've shown us the strategy, Helen. We're, we're on board, but we feel that these are still areas that are gaps. So prior to um, delivering the core strategy, I have socialization sessions which e with each of my SLTs and their teams. And I go through at a very high level, this is what the intention is, this is the proposal. But what we really need is we need you to come to the table and say to us, do you support this? Do you believe we're missing something? Do we have a blind spot as a leadership team? We're not an ivory tower. Mm -hmm. You know, yes, we're a measure of a democracy, so to speak. But at the same time, I need to make sure that I love perception. Perception to me is just one of the most valuable things. And I have, I have only so much to give based on who I am and how I work. But my teams have far more breadth of knowledge and experience in their line areas. So why not, why not leverage that? Um, so I've never felt isolated and I do bring them to the table, all of them. Fantastic. I mean, that's, that's really great to hear and really refreshing as well, um, like I said, in some of the conversations we've had. Um, so moving on in terms of like the role, obviously, that you've got now um, at the BBC, is there anything that's really surprised you about that role or um, like big learning like opportunity you've had within the role that you didn't expect to come your way? Yes, yes and yes. Um, <laughs> Am I, I can't go into too much detail. Has anything surprised me about the role? Actually, yeah, the fact that I'm enjoying it as much <laughs> as I am. Um, it's a phenomenal role. I'm, I'm very grateful um, to, to be trusted with it. Um, the surprises, they keep coming. It's, it's certainly given me exposure to things I never believe were part of a CISO role, but certainly none that I, I regret. Um, the experience is just hugely invaluable uh, for many reasons, but what has been the biggest and most pleasant surprise for me was I, I network a lot in the industry. I'm well known, and that's a necessary part of the job. But I had seldom networked with people from the BBC, and I've been doing it for about 10 years now. So I was reticent coming in as to what I would be faced with, who I would meet, what would my team be like. They have been the most incredible surprise mm -hmm. because they are phenomenal. You know, the, the transition into the role has been a bit of a baptism of fire. But it's been made easier by the fact that this team from day one have been incredibly supportive and they are just, they're just so brilliant. So yeah, that has been the most, the biggest surprise and the most pleasant surprise. <laughs> That's fantastic to hear. Um, on to more like, more like the, the, the workings around um, your work as a CISO. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts, obviously with the increasing use and, and like prevalence of AI now, like, what's your thoughts in terms of bringing that into cybersecurity? Is there, do you think there's more pluses than there are negatives? Or is there a lot to think about when it, like, before we even... I'm still like, processing. Um, and I'm, I'm a ridiculous purist on AI. So, you know, it's machine learning for me on steroids at the moment. Mm. But the inflection point is here. And I'm not going to pretend it's not. It's going to move at such a rapid pace. And 
we're going to do everything we can to keep up. So um, technologies, security technologies, leveraging AI. I'm watching the scene. I'm seeing, and I have a security technologist who Mm -hmm. supports me on this. So he's paying very close attention to it. Now, the business is certainly utilizing you know, generative AI and, yeah. and these sorts of things that poses a different challenge, and we have to we have to keep up to speed with that, because the business likes these tools; they love to use them. That's the way businesses work. Playing catch up is an unfortunate side effect of of what we're having to deal with here. Um, there is potential, huge potential on both sides for from the security side, and I'm going to speak to that. For us, it's about the areas where we can automate, and that was mostly the first line. Um, analytical roles and what have you. Yeah, of course. But one of the challenges, and we've been discussing this as a leadership team, is that if we're going to be bringing in these solutions and these these tools, what happens to the people? And we cannot, we can't stand aside and say, right, we're going to be bringing in all of these tools and just go, it's your responsibility to stay relevant from a career standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know this is a threat to, to your, your, your job, your you know, the, the nature of the role that you've undertaken from a career standpoint. <clears throat> so what we're doing, obviously, is investigating the tools and seeing the opportunities. But at the same time, we're being very, very clear with our teams and saying to them, right, this is the future. This is where it looks like it's going to go. We want to work with you to continue to upskill you so that they complement you rather than replace you. Mm-hmm. And if you find that the role is going to be replaced, then what do we need to do to upskill you to make sure that you stay within the InfoSec team? And that your job can evolve into areas where generative AI or AI tools or what have you will not replace you. How do we help you to retain and stay relevant? Yeah. So, you know, there is a there are two sides to this. One is the AI solution itself and the benefit it brings and the value it brings, whether it's cost, whether it's speed, whether it's efficiencies, whatever the benefit is. But then there is the people element. And I don't believe as leaders we should have them. They're not mutually exclusive for me. Mm-hmm. We have to take care of our teams in this regard and make sure that they are also supported. Um, and that's been well received, right? Because what I don't want is we don't want a fear-based culture where we're going to come in with a solution and people are just going to suddenly say, so I'm being replaced. We don't need yeah. that measure of defensiveness. What we need is the engagement to ensure that they don't feel threatened. So it's keeping that holistic approach going that mm-hmm. I'm seeing from an AI standpoint. And truth be told, that is the sum total of where I am. I'm making sure my technologist keeps me up to speed on what we need to do, what's yeah. coming up, what, are we, what should we be focusing on, where can we reap the benefits of AI automation. But at the same time, then I'm working with my teams to make sure that the people element of that supports bringing that in because they know they're not threatened. So a balancing act. Yeah. So it's like another part of the CISO role really is that the parenting of your team then is to, to help them through like the challenges of I, I guess I could <laughs> call it parenting for a non parent. That's it's interesting thought process for me to take in. But um I think of it as leadership. Yeah. You know, I'm I never got leadership for the longest time because I am an introvert, contrary mm-hmm. to what many think. And I avoided it, actively avoided managing people. I just didn't believe I had what it take it took to do it. But now that I'm in the role and I understand the responsibilities that come with it, I honestly don't I can't remove myself from that. Because yeah. everything has a human element involved in it. And, and as a good leader, which I hope I will be remembered as from a CISO standpoint, my people matter, my teams matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. In, in light of that, in terms of you talked about like effectiveness and the strategy and so on, how do you track that, the effectiveness of, of your cybersecurity and posture and then like communicate it to the stakeholders? Is there 
like ways that you do that in order to make sure that it comes across? I have no well. defined and set manner in which I do this. And this is simply, okay. and, and I'm probably, there's a number of my peers probably cringing as they listen to this. And the reason is because every organization I've been in, the language is different. Okay. The language of the business, the language of the stakeholders, whoever those stakeholders are, whether they're my senior leadership, whether they're my exco, whether they're my board, the language is different. I need to learn the language of the of that environment to be able to understand how best to communicate what we're doing, the value it's bringing. Um, so for some, it's a, it's an ROI concept. Mm-hmm. For others, it's a progression against the CMMI baseline. Um, for others, it's a measure against the risk portfolio. You know, um, yep. it, it, I have to learn that language and then I have to take the approach that meets those needs. Um, so one size does not fit all in, mm-hmm. in this regard. Um, I have found that for, for boards and for stakeholders that are not au fait enough with security um, as, an, as a whole, that the CMMI, as remedial as it may be, is quite effective in showing you know the needles moving. Here's your investment. Here's the the needle is moving in in line with the target state. So if you're a target, you know if you're a current two point eight or whatever that means, mm-hmm. and you, your target state is three point five, you can break that out. You can delineate that into this is where your investment's going to go, and you can show the natural progression of the the move of the needle towards that three point five. That's been very informative in the past for people who cannot necessarily yeah. conceptualize what security is. So it shows that impact yeah, statement it and does. the way that it's working. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the role of the CISO in the boardroom in in like the modern the modern job? So that's contentious. <laughs> nice. Um, my thoughts again, subjective, mm-hmm. mind alone. Be careful what you wish for. All right, in this regard. So more and more of us are getting the opportunity, and I I consider it a privilege in some regard. The, the FaceTime with board-level executives. I believe the right CISO in the right role, there is a time, there is a place for it. Do I believe that every CISO needs to go to the board? I, I can't say because, as again, each company is different. Yeah. Um, for me, I've been privileged enough to actually have had FaceTime with boards in all of my roles, mm-hmm. uh, with the exception, I believe, when I was head of InfoSec at Costa, but each of them since I've had board FaceTime, each board has been unique, f- fundamentally unique in, in the way in which they want to receive information about security, the way in which they process that information, and the way in which they then act on that information. So it goes back to something I made reference to earlier. Know the language of your board. That means identifying each of your board members in their own right. Who are they? What's the tenure on the board? What other boards do they serve on? There is work to do. If you are going to have that time and that face time with the board, you need to take the analysis and and, and information and use it to your your benefit and also their value. It is these are extraordinarily busy people with Mm -hmm. limited time. So you have to go to these sessions well prepared, well informed and be clear on the value that you're bringing and meeting their needs. So you need to do research in advance. You need to get Mm -hmm. to understand who these individuals are. and once you've, and it takes time to earn the trust of a board, right? It doesn't happen overnight. These things take time. And once you're there, you need to be prepared then for the pressure that comes with it. Because once you've set that benchmark, once you've set that expectation, it doesn't stop. The, yeah. the asks and the demands of you become more. Rightly so. You chose to, you wanted to go to the board. You've got the FaceTime. 
you know, you may think that they, they don't have much time and they don't, but be clear, they have attention to detail. So never take it for granted because that attention to detail puts you on the spot all the time. Um, you often find that one of your board members is is a stronger ally because they have an affinity for the subject and, for, and, and they're more familiar with cyber. They're normally the strongest and most vocal of your board members when it comes to the, the topic of InfoSec and cybersecurity. Really ally yourself with that individual. Um, have the socialization sessions in advance of the core board meetings. So I'm just giving you basic tips, but I would say that, yes, I, at the risk of sounding, you know, try, it's not my intention, be careful what you wish for. Because mm-hmm. once you get that face time, you have to show the value and you need to be consistent in that. Yep. All right. Um, and also you will then be pulled on outside of those board meetings for ad hocs. It's highly likely once you've earned their trust. So you need to be prepared for that as well. I think, no, I don't think, I know that there is value in a CISO having the, the face time with the board. Mm-hmm. But it also goes back to this. Work as a complement to your CTO particularly if your your CIO, your CTO is not a gatekeeper, but an ally of yours and trusts you, you are there as well to represent each other and to support each other. Yeah. Never work at odds with each other, especially not in you know the, the face of the, the board itself. That conflict can't exist in an open space like that. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of dynamics and a lot of politics to, to consider when you go and, and represent yourself in front of a board. So reverting back to... Unicorn CISOs that you talked about. Um, you said they're a rare breed. Is there? Do you think there's anything we can do in order to make, like make them more rather than a rare breed actually becoming more and more prevalent? Or do you feel it will always remain a rare breed? This is an area I'm probably going to get into a lot of trouble for. Um, they are a rare breed because, and this is where I, I alluded to the, the Gary Hayslips of, of the universe earlier. They have that ability to have the deep tech and the the strategy mm-hmm. mind, right? And um, I know some of them, but the benefit in having that kind of well, they come from the, the the tech ranks into you know studying the business and getting those skills. I never did the reverse. I was a strategist, but I've never taken the time to go back into the deep tech, okay. um, and that's not where my strengths lie. Do I think that they're a dying breed? No. I believe that there is always going to be a space for them, and I think that you will continue to see them, but they will continue to be rare, Mm -hmm. mostly because many of us now focus on the business language um, almost at the expense of of the tech because we have these incredibly strong teams supporting us. And because one of the things, and here's another reason why um, the, the others are considered unicorns, they have the ability to communicate at those senior levels in a language that is intuitive comfortable and easy to understand at exco level for people who are not natives of the industry right that's another mm-hmm. part of the the unicorn skill set where we have traditionally found that some of the technical individuals struggle to be able to take that parlance and make it easy for stakeholders who are not aligned with infosec to understand yeah so those will i believe and this is again me subjective be a rarity um <clears throat> and does it come down to education? No, I think it comes down to the individuals. If you are going to play to your strengths, you are either traditionally tech, traditionally strong in the strategy and the and the governance side. But if you have that ability to to mold, you know meld the two, um, there will always be those people. Yeah. It's just finding them and and really using them. I think predominantly as mentors and leveraging those skill sets to the best of their abilities. A part of me wishes I'd had the passion for the technology side, 
Um, I don't. I just yeah. have no, it, <clears throat> it's not an interest. It's just I don't believe I have the aptitude for some of it okay. to hold it. But yeah, there is, they're, they're not dying. They're rare. And they're also, you know, one of, one of the things I do find about them, they're very forward-facing into the industry as well. Okay, so okay. they offer some of the best insights and the best mentoring that you yeah. can get is from those individuals. What does the CISO role look like in, say, 10 years, do you think? Okay, you, you know how happy I am about this question um, <laughs> since we, we don't move in even five-year windows <laughs> in advance. But look, I, I don't have the answer to that. What I can tell you is, is that <clears throat> as technology evolves, so does the role of the CISO. Now, if you had said to me 10 years ago, you're going to be so embedded in privacy and data, you, you, you know, your DPO is going to be your bestie. I would have just laughed. What is a DPO would have been my first question. Um, and look where we are, right? My yeah. DPO is very, very much closely aligned with me. As a matter of fact, I see them as an extension of our team and we have a highly symbiotic relationship with them. One of the areas that I take a personal interest in is disinformation. Now, there's a lot of talk about, and I, I do talks about this, as whether or not this will eventually become a domain within security. There's a camp for and a camp against, like everything in life. I imagine that as we move forward as, as a role, the social media, the disinformation element is going to become part of our remit as well. Not a core domain as such, I guess, but certainly it's going to be in the next five years, we're going to have to start figuring out, right, that wider threat landscape around disinformation. How do we deal with this? Because... Yeah. It's going to become a part of brand awareness, brand damage. It doesn't matter what your brand is. If you are, you have an e-commerce, you have your Twitter, your TikToks, whatever you want to use them, we are going to have to get involved in those conversations because of the way in which the data is harvested and the way in the, which the data is, the way in which we use customer data through those, those channels as well. And, and security, we speak a similar language, right? We have disinformation socks. We have disinformation controls and things like that. It seems like a natural fit as we mature, and much like we did with the GDPR stance, when GDPR first came out, who got the majority of the program to deliver security? Why? Well, because, you know, everybody was talking about the security in Article 32. It naturally yeah. sat there. And now that we've matured, we have the privacy teams and we have the privacy office and the DPOs. I imagine a similar thing will be. So for the next, I'd say in five years, watch mm -hmm. that space. I imagine that that's where we're going to get a lot more interest with regards to our remit and security and do we include this yeah. into our into our fold so to speak absolutely i mean coming towards the end and then wrapping up um with different things obviously the role of the CISO has changed an awful lot um and, and what you've what you've said today is like has is bringing forward even more things that are changing so with somebody who want is like looking to get into the field and looking to move forward within the CISO role mm -hmm. um what what I suppose, what are the three positive like tips you would give them to look out for um, as a priority? This is an interesting one for me. Through. I often get approached when I do um, networking events or talks or what have you, and people come to me and go, I, you, you're just, Helen, you're an inspiration, blah, 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 and I'm, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. I want to be just like you. Well, don't, okay? Yeah. I, I wouldn't recommend anybody be like me, but here's the thing. I want They want to be a CISO. And then I ask the question, why? Yeah. Why do you want to be a CISO? What is it you think... We do. That makes you want to do this role. Be very clear on that. Speak to CISOs because you will find that we all come in different shapes and flavors. You know, we're a bag of Skittles or Revels, whatever your favorite candy is. None of us is the same. And we all have very different ways in which we do our jobs. The principles, sure, there are principles that we all adhere to and we, we execute them differently. So what is your why 
if you want to be a CISO. Be very clear on that. Um, it is not, contrary to popular opinion, a glamorous role. <laughs> I don't believe it's glamorous. And when people say it's just such a glam role, it's like you have no clue. And you really need to be taken aside and have a conversation around the realities of what comes with this role because it is a 24-7-365 role. Okay, it, it takes commitment, dedication. Your stress levels are, I think we run an 80 percentile, basically, constant stress rate. And every so often, depending on the nature of what's going on, you get thrown into that additional 20%. It's not for the faint of heart. You need extreme resilience to be able to do this role mm. in many cases. And it depends on the level of the CISO role, right? So obviously there's the likes of the BBC. Um, then there is the likes of, you know, the the head of InfoSec role I did at Costa Coffee. There are two different extremes when it comes to the stress levels. So it's all relevant to that as well. The second I would say then is understand where your strengths lie. If your strengths are technical, if you are a strong technically based you know, individual, mm -hmm. then startups traditionally is a really great place for you to be because that really utilizes the skill set less so than the governance side of things. Yep. Um, I can't speak for all startup roles, but we tend to find that strong technical CISOs who love the tech, they go into those highly technically focused CISO roles and they still exist and there is a value in them and need for them. Then there is the other side of you, the governance, risk and compliance and the strategist, that's more me. I yep. won't touch roles that require deep technical understanding and what have you. So find the role that fits with your skills and your strengths, right? There are different types of CISO roles out there. Not all of them are the same. Um, you have the unicorns, like we talked to you know, mm -hmm. Gary Hayslip, who is the tech and the strategist. Yep. They are the unicorns, all right? They're a rare breed um, and they have the ability to traverse both, but that is a rare breed. Mm -hmm. um, and last but not least, the top tip is, um, if you're going to do this role, I, I hear this a lot. I hear that many CISOs feel isolated. They feel alone. That emotional resilience I talked about earlier is very important. But you have to understand as well that there are times when you will be alone, right? You will be a lone voice, and it's a yep. challenge. The CISO role is is still fighting for its, what lane do I belong in, you know? And mm -hmm. we're frequently told by so this, this is a contentious one, the reporting line. Do you report into a CIO, a CTO, or should we report into the CEO? I have no answer on this. I don't. Um, <clears throat> I report into a brilliant CTO, and he is incredibly supportive, and he sees me as a compliment to his role, not a threat. He is not a gatekeeper. Right? Yep. You will find roles, though, where you don't get supportive CIOs who are gatekeepers or, or whatever it is. So, so understand, if you're pushing for that CEO and trying to break the mold, that's a big mold you're trying to break, so don't do it from the outset. Mm -hmm. um, take your time, understand the value you bring to the table, prove that value, and then have those conversations. But from the outset, if you're going to start applying for, I want to be reporting into the CEO, you know, as you're going yep. for job interviews and things like that, those are also rare. They're not going to happen yet. I think we're a good five years away from some of us being straight into the CEO, CFO lines. Right. Just be patient with where you sit in the stack. Understand your relationship with your reporting line. If you're going to consistently fight against it, the role is not for you. That particular role is not for you. You will yeah. find a role as a CISO or a head of that is for you. Just be patient, get the lay of the land, and don't take a scorched earth policy when it comes to your reporting line. Just play it out for a bit. So that's like fantastic tips for people there. And on that, I will we'll, we'll draw to a close, but thank you so much for joining us, Helen. It's been an absolute pleasure to have talked Likewise, to you. Likewise, and thank you again for the invitation. I appreciate it. No, thank you.